Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to The Reset, a mental health podcast without all the bollocks. I'm Sam Delaney. My guest this week is the actor, writer, producer and tradesman, Todd Von Joel. This is a really personal episode for me. I've known Todd for years. He's one of those mates that instinctively understands the struggles men can go through with their mental health. He's been through a lot of them himself and he's got an uncanny ability to talk openly about his own vulnerabilities. When I first knew him, he was one of the few lads that I'd met who found it so easy to open up. I've always been impressed by that, and that was one of the reasons I've always wanted him on the reset. Beyond that, Todd has had a successful creative career as an actor in shows including EastEnders, Holby City and Silent Witness. He's a published writer, and he recently produced his first feature film. So he's a man of many talents. It was a joy to talk to him about mental health, masculinity, and learning to cope with his demons. I hope you enjoy listening. Todd, welcome to The Reset, mate. Thank you very much for having me on, Sam. I'm very um, flattered to be in such good company. I've obviously listened to a number of your recent ones. So, yeah, thank you very much for considering me to come on. Well, it's a pleasure, mate. And you should know, I started this podcast because during all of my own struggles with mental health and addiction and all of that that I've, that I've had over the years, um, the most sort of helpful thing and powerful thing was meeting people who I thought I could relate to who were similar to me, um, who could open, be open and, and share the sort of things they've been through and the feelings they had. But what I want to know is, how come you have this gift where most blokes find it very difficult to open up, but you don't care? I, I don't know whether... It's like it's sort of... I've got no sort of filter, and I've actually, like, questioned myself if maybe I've got some sort of, like form of Asperger's or autism where I just sort of go yeah and do it and throughout my life my behaviour I've in negative and positive ways I've just gone and sort of done it yeah and my analogy I use now is here's all my cards now let's see yours and maybe it's a way of self-protection because if if I let people know what's going on with me then I can't get caught out that's that but that's a beautiful thing you know they say the truth will set you free and I think that's really true and you live with a lot less anxiety 
mm. when you're able to be very open about yourself because you're never sort of thinking, am I going to get found out? Will people That's think it. I'm a fake? But it takes a lot of people many years to arrive at that. Mm. A lot of us put up a front for many years and then it takes some sort of crisis for you to start realising, do you know what? I need to be honest and open about myself. But uh, I feel as if, you know, and I'm not diminishing any of the struggles you have been through because you've been through a lot, but I feel that you were born with a special skill. <laughs> and it must, however much you've been through, mate, do you feel as if your ability to share has at least been something that has sort of always has helped you? I think it, I think it has helped me because I don't keep much stuff in. I mean, mm. the things that are in do ruminate and cause trouble, but I... I do try and let it out and maybe that's the example that I was set as well like there's a lot of mental health issues in my family and it's it was it's almost the norm to be talking about your mental health mm. slash whining about it slash <laughs> trying to get attention of some sort or the right. other it's mm. just all I've ever known so it certainly wasn't a was it stiff British upper lip style no. upbringing it was poor 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 me another drink style upbringing. yeah yeah um but yeah, I don't know. It's just something that, that's helped me. And God, I don't think I could hold things inside. I'm not. I'm not good at internalising. I'm probably more of an extrovert in that sense. Of things without sounding like one of those annoying jazz hands people. Mm. Although I'm no, sure but I, I mean, look, it's helped me because when I was going through things and I couldn't necessarily talk to everyone. Certainly not a lot of my bloke mates. Not because I'm not going to like criticise my bloke mates and make out they would have taken the piss or not been sympathetic but I think they would have just found it very difficult and awkward some of them mm. whereas I remember talking to you quite openly when I first got sober and when I've been going through bad times and you sort of were like very easy to talk so you should know and you know I want you to know that yeah you you know you find it helps you to talk to other people I'm sure but you help other people by being that open especially being the sort of bloke you are as well do you know what I mean you're yeah. not like you don't come across you're a big larger than life fella mate you're not. You don't come across as a naturally touchy feely sort of guy, <laughs> yeah. but that's a good thing because you open up and you can show that you're sensitive and vulnerable. Yeah, thank you very much for saying that. And I think yes, I was doing. We touched on mental health on on another sort of show I do, and I like I said on that. I said if, if by sharing your experiences it helps just one person, mm. then you've sort of done. Then you've done a job. If you can keep one person hanging in there just for another twenty four hours, someone that's really on the edge then that, that's what it's about. And I, I had an exp experience when I watched that um, Tyson Fury interview on Joe Rogan where he's talking about how close he came to suicide. And ironically, I, that could have been something to help save my life because I heard that at such a damn point. So it's that that it, that interview just spoke to me sort of yeah. directly at yeah, just a really, bad, a really bad time. So I'm not saying maybe this is going to help save someone's life but you never know maybe by hearing just two this conversation yeah, it could be one person I think any time you open up you're open hearted yeah. and show it yourself then you, you don't know who it's helping or how yeah, but you it don't. could be helping someone in a special in a really important way you well, know? it's like with, like with the Recep series you, you don't know exactly who's listening mm. there might be someone that's religiously listening to every episode and it's really helping them or there might be someone that's listened to one episode for ten minutes and it's helped them and they've let you know but yeah you don't know but I think it's putting it's putting good out there and there's no negativity in potentially help potentially helping someone you know um, you know it's, you, you've had a successful acting career which I mentioned in your intro but you also, you know, uh, have, have worked on building sites. You've worked on the tools throughout your career. Now, that, 
I read a report this week, a really horrible, I thought a horrible story in the Daily Mail. I don't know if you saw it. Yeah, I know what you're right. talking about. And they go, oh, now even tradesmen have gone woke. That's the way the Daily Mail um, described it. But then the study that they're referring to, all it really said was a lot of people who work on the tools now feel that talk about their feelings and emotions. For some reason, the male had managed to dress that up as a negative thing. Yeah. I suppose what they were trying to say was that's, that is traditionally a very sort of alpha male kind of environment to work in where you would imagine it is hard you have to keep up a front a little bit yeah. is, is that a fair is that a fair reflection working in that environment well I think so I think it is definitely toxic masculinity is rife within trades work but what I've found now is there's sort of three generations on the tools I mean I'll just put in now I'm still very much on the tools my main source of income yeah. comes from being a painting and decorator um, so you've got the old guys who this would come under your sort of typical old school British builders what you've got to be worried about you tart mm. they love a full English breakfast they love a bit of Brexit they love the sun they love a bit of tits you know what yeah, I mean yeah. then you've got your sort of middle range ones who are sort of my age who are around 40 who have got experience of that world but have also got experience of slightly more left wing and open minded political and social sort of views mm. and then you've got the new wave coming through which maybe the, the, who are referred to perhaps as the woke generation, who are much more sort of socially and culturally educated and, and open-minded. So there is definitely a transition going on in the trades. But that article that you mentioned, I think there's elements of classism there. Um, I think that this sort of view that people in the trades are all sort of racist, unhealthy, big cocaine kebabs is, is outdated and... Um, and it's actually quite insulting. I mean, for example, someone could look at me and go, oh, yeah, but you're working on the trades, you've got short hair, you've, you've been in prison, you got kicked out of school, you've been a lagal out. And I could say, yes, that's all true. But I've also got a first-class degree, I'm a published poet, and have a mixed-race family. Mm. So mm, mm. how do you want to play it? Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And the, the publication you're talking about has chosen the, yeah. the first ones of those things because that's how they want to see it but I think people do love a cliche and they want to put people in boxes so they can understand it and that box suits the Daily Mail's of audience even if it is a bit of a backhanded compliment that us morons in the trade might pull ourselves away from a full English breakfast yeah and have a quinola bar <laughs> you, know? <laughs> um, you know also you mentioned that you have done time when you were younger and you know there was a period probably when I first knew you but like you know you were you were living a, a bad life when you were living that life right were you able to show your were you just as open and vulnerable as you are now uh, no, for, before I start so I think I have to say that I'm not from a terrible background at all um, there's a lot of negative things but essentially my mum is sort of a middle class woman and a very dysfunctional upbringing but it, I was not ever really really poor for example or suffer any sort of major physical or sexual abuse but yeah I did have a very dysfunctional upbringing and so much so that when I was by 19 yeah kicked out of home school and, and spent a bit of time in Felton prison I literally became another character and that was in, that was to do with the subculture of graffiti that I was involved in and that was purely fueled by alcohol drugs and mostly fear and it was that fear of what did happen to me and what might happen to you on the street in inverted commas 
and therefore you be- you become you mistake respect with fear and you try and become fearsome and you do that by being bullied but by stopping yourself being bullied by being a bully and being yeah. allowed and you become this character for your own self-protection and if you can build up enough of a reputation then maybe people the bigger tougher boys might be less inclined to to rob you or to get you involved in their stuff and eventually as you get older you climb the tree and you become a bit bigger and a bit more streetwise and then before you know what's going on it it's who you've become um and what 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 was it that changed for you how did you manage to make positive change in your life um i, I did go back into education and I, i've got a, a job being a lifeguard um and i just a little bit of responsibility and respect that that commanded in me I think sort of I started getting attention for a positive from a positive side of things and therefore I, then I was living sort of with one foot in one foot out so I'd be going and misbehaving but then going into a job with a, a level of responsibility and I don't know I guess I just had a bit I had it sort of in, I had it about me that I knew that that wasn't the right way I was seeing people getting more and more in trouble and I did have a sense of what was right and what was wrong so I did know that when I was misbehaving it was wrong and it was all fueled by alcohol, so it was a character. So when I wasn't drunk and going mad, it wasn't mm. really me. Mm. Mm. And, uh, you know, there's a lot to talk about in your life, Todd, and we'll jump around a bit. But, you know, you, you mentioned it was alcohol, and I remember when you got sober. What was it, four and a half years ago? Yeah, yeah. And so what what was that like? What was the trigger for that? I'd, I'd known I'd need to stop drinking since I started drinking because I loved it. I found it and I loved it and it was gave me everything that I wanted it was an escape it was just great I loved alcohol from the minute I found it and I loved how it made me feel and I thought I loved who it made me made me become but then for the last 10 years of my drinking which was a lot um I wasn't happy in the end I was just it was just all about as much as I could drink until and I'd get myself into all sorts of trouble because I'd go out and it wasn't exciting enough for me and I was an adrenaline junkie so I'd always be pushing the boundaries and seeking out things to entertain myself mm. which sounds quite funny and there is some funny stories but it's negative and there would have been people's nights that I've ruined and people who I've upset and people that probably could still remember a negative story that I'm involved in people that I wouldn't even remember to look at and that's, mm. that's a horrible feeling to know that it could have negatively affected people's lives for my own sort of drunken entertainment but how long had you been thinking when when did it dawn on you that you, it was more negatives than positives and how long had you been thinking uh, about I would, actually quitting as opposed to cutting down well it's every time my hangovers were horrendous waking up in police cells pressing the button find out how serious it was this time numerous things various court appearances upsetting people waking up in mad places I mean I was when I drank you wouldn't know how drunk I was because I wasn't a slurrer and I wasn't a faller over. Yeah. I was just wild. Um, because I believe that, I think it's something called, um, what is it, delayed arrested development? Arrested, right. Where your brain, when you start heavily drinking, it doesn't carry on developing. So I yeah. had this sort of like 14, 15 year old mentality. And because of my drinking, wasn't all sort of like in pubs and clubs, it was street drinking. It was going around London stealing alcohol and just. Mm. London was a playground and whatever havoc you could cause you mm. caused which tied in with the graffiti world that I was in 
So I knew from a, I knew that I'd have to stop, and it was always the regret and the alcoholic remorse, and what have I done, and who have, who have I offended, and mm. how serious is it this time? And then blackouts became every time I drank. I could I could consume so much alcohol. I was never sick, and I used to do a day on a day off, like back in the, like in the day. And mm. then, as I got a bit older, drugs came into it more because I could afford it more. So then I'd facilitate the drinking through coke. Yeah, that's like a travel card. I can do what I want now. Yeah, yeah. And I'd rather talk someone to death than beat them to death. You know? yeah. Not glamorizing my behaviour. I'm not nah. particularly hard. I just. It was weird because I was boxing and kickboxing at quite a decent level, so I'd punish myself and live like a semi-professional athlete all week and then get smashed on the weekends and people would get into conflicts, but I was so regularly sparring and stuff that it was just so normal to yeah. carry on that phone, which of course I realised was quite dangerous because you're starting, you could get hurt yourself and you could cause quite a lot of damage to yeah. people, you know, and that's not what I want to be or that sort of person. So you've come such a long way, mate. I mean... You've come a long way, and this is what I'm interested in. You know, I've been knowing you for a long time, and learning more now is like it's a long way back from where you were. You know, when you talk about all of these things, like even when you were becoming older and you were relatively more responsible, you were still binge drinking, sometimes fighting at weekends. Yeah. It's a long way to come back from, and I'm just interested now on in reflection what how you think you, you did it what well, you know I know it's never as simple as oh there was this one big moment but what what do you what do you think it was that made you suddenly think I've got to take control because as we any of us who've who have got sober and who've had a problem know it's not an easy thing it takes more than a few bad hangovers it's a long fucking road and it's a lot of effort and you you achieved that and I'm just fascinated as to how you did it the honest reason that first comes to my mind and this isn't tell you what it is it's for me it was life or death when I got sober I within the three months of getting sober had a complete nervous breakdown and lost here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. My my relationship ended not through my terms in the worst terms possible, and I knew that if I did drink again, I would have probably done something very serious to myself and there was third parties involved who I, who I know what I was capable of under alcohol drinking and if I had done that then my son would have not had a dad through being dead or, or doing a life sentence and my motivation to raise my, my son and just not abandon him and to make sure that I was the dad I never had it is and was my the reason that I'll never drink again mm. That's that's beautiful, mate. And, and I and I'm and I'm not just saying that, and I'm not trying to make out of my. I was 
that damaged and that broken and I, I can't risk that because that's the only thing that keeps me going that I live for the only thing I'm truly proud of is that during that time I stuck by my son who I was co-parenting under very difficult circumstances and he kept me alive and I would never desert him and or or my um, this, a son I've had since in, in my current mm. relationship and that is essentially when it all boils down to it that is my job to to bring those two up and never abandon them and make sure that whatever issues they face, they won't be the same ones that I faced as a result of not having parents that were able to give me the love that I needed. Um, have you found, how, do you, how did you find sobriety though, when you first sort of, you know, when you got through the tough early stages of it? I, I feel as if you, you took to it very quickly and very well and you, and you just see it as a positive aspect in your life. I had to change everything. I just had to completely change my whole life. So my whole life revolved around drinking and the and the attention, positive and negative, that came with it. My relationship was very social at the time, with the both the trades work and the media works very drink mm. drink heavy. And I don't really go out, but I anymore. But I don't miss it because I put all my energy into becoming a dad. So the weekends I do that, and I was I was ready to I was ready to stop. Um, I was, oh yeah, I was really, I was really ready to stop. I've done enough, drinking's not my friend. It doesn't, there's no good comes out of my drinking. Mm. There's no good at all. Apart from maybe a 10 minute period when I'm hilarious. <laughs> well, you're lucky, you know, some, you know, I've always felt that I, I, I didn't know when I gave up drinking drugs, how I, what my personality would be like, because I've been doing it for so long, since such an early age. You, you think, oh, this will be interesting. I wonder what I'm really like. Because you, you, to a large extent, you don't uh, know what you're like. Yeah. I, and the thing was, one thing is, and, and I tried to really stress this, is that, like, you kind of think, oh, it must be really boring when you're sober. Yeah. And, and my personal thing is, I, what, number one was I was delighted to find out that I could still have a laugh and I could still be yeah. funny. Um, but actually, I had even more energy, right? Um, yeah become much more discerning about what you do and don't do there's a lot more things that you just invitations you accept or things you get involved in when you're drinking because you just sort of think well I'll have a drink it'll be alright so I do a hell of a lot less but I try to always stress to people who are thinking about not drinking that you know not only is it can you still have fun you, you basically have more fun I mean you are someone you say oh I was hilarious first right? you're just as funny as you ever were you're certainly just as confident as you ever were oh, do, you, do you know what I mean so it's like it's, it's, that's quite a nice thing to discover about yourself isn't it well that is really nice of you to say so and it's, it's something I've worried about because you do lose yourself I guess I thought that when I got sober everything would be sorted out the next day and that's when the work really starts because you start having to uncover the reasons why you would started those negative behavioural cycles in the first place and I, it's, I, I still, I'm not really sure who I am now, but I know what I'm not. Mm. And even just things like I was, I was a real um, casual dresser. So I, I miss the whole casual football hooligan sort of movement from the 80s, but mm. I loved the style and the fashion. And I've even sort of changed the way I sort of dress a bit because I'm so scared to, to be anything like the person I was before. Yeah. And I sit here with you as a 40-year-old white man with cane rows today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've just put my hair in them, so you, you wouldn't believe it. But I would never have had my hair like this before, but I'm just a lot more relaxed now. And I don't really know who I am, but I know what I'm not. 
and it's just it's what I'm grateful about is just waking up in the morning knowing I'm not gonna hurt myself or anyone else or get in any trouble there's when I used to drink it was nothing was off the table it was a lottery it was a, it was a total lottery and now I know that I'm unlikely to do the things that I would do when I was drinking ever again be it a mad fight in a pub toilet or surfing the back of a train home or jumping behind the counter snick a couple of bottles of champagne in a crowded shop whatever yeah. the mad shit would, that I would do as just normal as you, talk, you talk about football there and we were just remembering earlier that the, the last time I remember being out with you on a wild one I actually was sober <laughs> and we went to, to West Ham Newcastle up at Newcastle it's always a, a, an away day that's got big potential for craziness <laughs> and you tagged along with me and my brother even though you're not actually West Ham, because you sort of love me and my brother were both sober. I'd been yeah. sober about a year. He'd been sober much longer, like several years. And uh, I remember thinking, oh yeah, I wonder if this will be all right. Cause it was one of my first sober away days. But you were not sober at that <laughs> no. time. And you had a. I've actually got some photos that really reflect our different state of mind. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, like, I'm just sort of looking pretty chill about my train up to Newcastle <laughs> through the English countryside, and you're quite all over the place. It's, it's fair to say you had quite a, a high octane day that day at St James's Park. I don't think you sat down to watch the match once. No, I didn't. I, let's say, for those that know, I marched all the way there. <laughs> Whilst <laughs> yeah. I was there, and marched home again yeah. with the assistance of um, Stella Artois. And yeah, I remember, yeah, I, I couldn't sit still and yeah. just running around behind Was the it, scenes by talking to anyone that had listened to Strange me. experience that, like when, you, when you're first sober and you're with someone who, who's very fucked. I mean... And I wasn't I, a quiet fucked. I, I was no, quiet. I didn't, I didn't really take... I didn't try to avoid that sort of shit as much as I feel I should have done when I was first sober. Now, I just naturally avoid it. I can't imagine a situation that I would be in where I'm with someone who's like very off their face. I mean, obviously I still go to football and sometimes like when I went away to Europe last season, you're very often like on a train or in a square or a bar where there were people who were like right off it. But even then, you know, I'd, I'd wander away. I went back to my hotel room for a kid. I just don't stay around people like like that generally. But back then, I was only recently sober. And actually, I don't remember it bothering me at all. I remember finding it hilarious sort of thing. Yeah. But it is a strange one, isn't it? I mean, do you try to avoid I do. being around people who are like that? I'm a big boxing fan. And I've boxing for me was a big excuse, as it is for a lot of people, for a drink and all the yeah. rest of it. And I, I got offered a ticket to go to Tyson Fury and Dillian White recently. And I went, and it was hard work. Um, firstly, everyone's on it. You go in the toilet, and they're going, get out of our coke room. And like it's just thick with smoke and geezers yeah, yeah, yeah. going through it. And like it's very intimidating, and everyone's really wired and on it. And where it's boxing, it's a very yeah, like, yeah. And I just, I just, it made me sort of go into myself because I just, I just was really quiet. And I was wearing a sort of vintage um, Naf Naf bomber jacket that nice. I've got. The man, oh, I love that. I that. Yeah, so <laughs> it attracted lots of positive attention, but I did find it difficult. And to be honest, that's probably the first time that I've sort of thought, oh, maybe if I don't drink, but I could do a bit of that. So I didn't, mm. but it did cross my mind. It was, it was difficult. Yeah. And I don't think I put myself in that situation again, because for me, boxing was synonymous with this is, is going to be a mental 24 yeah, hours. Yeah, yeah, big 24 hours. Yeah. And, um, and also, let's be real, I don't. I think that drugs and alcohol are just an awful in every way. But I tell you something awful. 
doing cocaine without alcohol. Oh yeah, anxiety. You, you don't want to try that. Yeah, I mean, don't try any of it in any combination. But a dry line is uh, one yeah, of the most I don't horrendous the experiences you can ever put yourself through. No, that is, I don't. I, I'll never do it. So I've never I, done. I did it like. back in the old days. I did it a couple of times when I was trying to quit drink and foolishly thought I could keep doing some things but not others. And I, I, you know, I, I'm, I naturally suffer from anxiety anyway, and oh, that was God. like plunging yourself into the darkest Hell, anxiety yeah. you could. Um, what do you do nowadays, mate? So you've got, I know you've got two young children, so life's tough as it is for any dad when they've got two on the go. One's still a baby, so you have sleep issues, which I know must be difficult. Yeah. How, how do you try to manage your mental health nowadays? Oh, do you know what? I just like to. I've got to say, like I'm sitting here, sort of telling stories and preaching. I'm by no way fixed. I am. I'm an addict, and I am seriously mentally ill. And it was only <laughs> yesterday I was having a complete freakout and an emotional shutdown, where it's just my sensory overload, and I was just so stressed I couldn't handle it. So I take medication, which I've always taken. I do weekly psychotherapy, um, which I which I which I've been doing for about three years now. Um, I've done lots of therapy, CBT, etc. before, so I've got some knowledge from that. I'm not doing an exercise well, as much as I should be, which is something I also do. And what I've just found is when it comes, the, the bouts are there, the depression will be on me, but it will pass. And they're shorter, they're shorter bursts now, rather than going on for months at a time. Mm. They're sure it's more days and it is difficult. And I try and tell the people around me that I love this isn't about you, although it must seem to them very much that it's about them. Mm. And the, the the violence has come out of my sort of rages. I'm a lot more subdued than I was when I was still drinking or, or the rest of it because I'd probably still be a bit sort of hungover. And so I'm not like smashing stuff up, but. It's, it's horrible and it's something that I know that I've got to live with and that if you had diabetes you manage it as you do for the rest of your life and I'll have to manage my sort of depression and ongoing mental health issues but the part of the way of managing it is by not drinking or taking drugs I wish I could like fat people might look at me and go oh, I wish I could just eat three Mars bars and not be fat I'm lucky I'm not particularly fat so I can do that but I can't drink I look at something I wish I could just have a couple of drinks but then who has a couple of drinks mm. That's not fun. I drank to get mad. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, I've, I, so avoiding that, medication, exercise, counselling, talking, and even still it can get you. The black dog will always, will always be there and it will always get me. It's just how I, how I react to it. But one thing I always say is toxic relationships, whether it's friends or family, if you listen to this and you've got that, you know if it's toxic because when you think of the person or whatever, it causes you some sort of stress, then just try and remove yourself from that. You don't need to approach it, just remove yourself from it. Mm. And I've had to do that with family members and other people that in an ideal world I'd have a more cooperative relationship with. But it makes me physically ill. Yeah. The stress. And it's all triggers and it all goes back for me I found it all goes back to sort of childhood and I'm working through that now. It sounds a bit cliche, but no. Well, I think it's it's absolutely true. I mean, it, it is a cliche, but ultimately, you know, people, you know, they often say in recovery that you know the point at which you started using drugs and alcohol is the point at which you, to a large extent, you stop developing emotionally. Yeah, the arrested development. Yeah, thing and, on earlier. And and you know, therefore, when you when you finally stop. 
the next thing you do is have to unravel a lot of shit that's happened over the years that you haven't quite processed properly. Oh, yeah. And so inevitably, you know, you go back and you realise that a lot of the, your reactions to things are dictated by the little bits and bobs that happen to you. Sometimes big things. Mm-hmm. But as you said, you know, I'm like you. I wasn't, I wasn't the victim of abuse. You know, I didn't... I was from a broken home like you. A lot of people are. It's not nice. I kind of grew up you know almost trained to say oh it doesn't affect me I, d- I don't mind because you sort of think oh I don't want to make a big deal out of it and you pretend to be okay when you get sober you start looking back on things and really you do have to it's not about being navel gazing but you do have to sort of start thinking actually let's be real that shit that happened to me when I was a kid did really fucking bother me and dictates the way I behave to this day. Correct, because sometimes our reactions is actually the young person reacting to it. So there might be a trauma yeah. in your childhood, and if something triggers it in adult life, your reaction is, is parallel to like a child's reaction. Most obviously, shouting, swearing, hitting. Mm. It, mm. It's a young part of us, do you know what I mean? But a lot of people, don't. we're talking about it now, but they, for whatever reason, they don't get to that stage of doing the work or digging down and uncovering it because they sort of get away with it or they feel like they're getting away with it. Mm. And we all know them because they're in the pub now drinking, telling war stories and carrying on that same behaviour they've been doing for 30, 40 years. Yeah. Uh, well, Todd, um, thanks for coming on the show and also just thanks. You know, you've been a good mate and like I say, you know, you've always been a great person to talk to and I'm sure you play that role in a lot of other people's lives as well. So uh, when things get tough for you, you should know that you're also... You know, whether you always can see it or not, you're also helpful to other people. And I'm sure people listening to this podcast would, you know, have taken some comfort or related to a lot of the things you've said. And also just well done on on your recovery, mate, and all the progress that you've made. It's it's tough sometimes when life's tough. You can sort of think, oh, fucking hell, I've not got anywhere. I still get miserable. I'm still knackered and stressed. And no one's there to sometimes say, no, mate, what you've done is actually fucking a miracle. You've moved mountains over the last sort of five years or so. No, you know, we don't always get told that enough. No, we don't. So, you know, I'm telling you that now. So thanks a lot, mate. Thank you very much. Um, You can hear Todd on Fix Radio. I'm going to put all of the links to his other stuff um, in the in the accompanying text this podcast wherever you're listening to it if you want to check out his work um, Todd Von Joel thank you very much yeah no worries thank you very much Sam there you go that was Todd Von Joel a great mate a talented creative and also a brilliant decorator to be fair he's always been an inspiration and I'm really chuffed he came on the show if you want to find out more about Todd check him out on Fix It Radio which is on National DAB you can also find out more about his other projects at toddvonjoel.com that's it for this week gang remember to subscribe to the reset at sandelaney.substack.com you can also get my new group chinwag podcast club reset which is available exclusively to subscribers on my new platform hubwave.net until next time be lucky and don't let the dickheads get you down
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.